Oh shit. It's the coin toss. Holy shit. Holy shit, it's the coin toss. One topic. It's a surprise. It's off the rip. Two sides of a coin. Tarek, heads or tails, but I did bring a coin to the table to prove you wrong. But what are you going to call? I'm curious. Tails. He lost it. <laughs> I did not. This is some great radio. <laughs> See, it turns out it's heads. Oh, look at that. I don't even I don't even believe you. Every time. Look at that. It Every doesn't matter what you believe, because the truth is it was heads. So, Trey, since you won the coin toss and you both are Cowboys fans, please tell me your best case scenario for the Cowboys first round pick coming up this Thursday. Uh, I'm a I'm a regrettable Cowboys fan, so I guess uh, I'm just going to go with the obvious answer and just say Patrick Sertain. That defense is bad enough, so just throw some defensive backs at it and see what sticks. So, uh, yeah, they're not going to make the defense any worse, and Sertain seems like the best uh, corner on the board. Tarek, you're the other side of this coin, man. Who are your boys taking? Who do you want? Who do I want? Yeah, this is your team. Didn't you just ask Trey what the best-case scenario is? Yeah. Who do you want? What's your best case scenario for your boys? The Okay, well, the best case scenario is that Trevor Lawrence falls to pick 10. You're a and fucking ass, dude. Now, I, I, don't know what the, I don't know what you're asking me. John, what do you think? About the Cowboys? I think they should get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, worst coin toss ever. Let's go. Well, legitimately the worst coin toss ever. <laughs> All right. Fuck the Cowboys. Fuck me. (laughs) What the fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty Fantasy Fubao. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Benshuya. With me, as always, John, Trey, and Mitch. Mitch is standing up, putting his thumb in the camera. So, John, what's going on, dude? Uh, I'm just <laughs> I'm just sitting here and watch Mitch put his thumb in the camera, and I'm really enjoying it. I think that we're going to have a, and that's, yeah, that's a lot of thumb. Uh, we're doing pretty good on my end. Yeah, I'm ready for this NFL draft, and I'm excited to talk about some scenarios today. Yeah, man. What, we're like three days away? That's why we're recording so early in the week? Getting ready for this fucking NFL draft? We don't want to push out outdated information to our loyal listener. Speaking of outdated information, I will never digitize my notes, and that's why my thumb was in the camera. What's up, guys? Marl's in charge. (laughs) Marl's in charge. Always good to ruffle around some papers while the rest of his uh, podcast mates are trying to talk. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for, boys. That's the content the listeners crave yeah trey what's going on man how are you i'm good man i am so ready for this actual nfl draft coming up uh into the week I'm tired of all the speculating i'm ready to know these landing spots but uh you know we've got a whole episode of speculation uh planned for today so uh it's all we got let's embrace it yeah tired of the speculating but we're gonna do the best speculating you have heard on both sides of the mississippi all right so Today on the show, we are taking a look at three mock drafts simultaneously 
and from there kind of extracting interesting insights from the comparison. And, you know, before we get started, I wanted to talk about this idea of the mock draft and how useful it is to examine a mock draft closely. I was listening to uh, Chris Harris's podcast last week, which I love, as I was preparing for my own podcast. And he kind of went on a little rant about the futility of examining mock drafts, basically saying there's no point in trying to figure out who is going to go pick 99 when you have no functional idea of what's going to happen the 98 picks beforehand. And he also said that a lot of the information floating around right now is kind of purposeful misinformation by teams trying to throw up smoke screens. And to all that, I say heard, you know, I, I love Chris Harris's perspective on pretty much everything, but that's why we structured this episode the way we did to look at a set of three data points, three mock drafts to find trends and ranges of outcomes that signal interesting and important teams that are likely to make key selections at key positions important to fantasy football. So I've seen a lot of dynasty pods uh, over the last couple of years kind of go through a single mock draft and talk about potential landing spots. But I think examining three at once, while it's not a huge sample size, gives us a better idea of the kind of general mood or tenor of team need and the various range of outcomes that we can expect. So Trey, you are our man who did the hard work of aggregating all these mock drafts. Um, tell us about what mock drafts we're looking at and maybe any interesting insights from the process of aggregation. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, it is only three mock drafts. So it's only three data points, right? So there's not really any wisdom of the crowds here, but uh, you know, three is better than one. Uh, so it, it does give us a kind of a, a variety of different opinions on what the team needs are across the board and where, uh, you know, these analysts think the value is in the draft. So we put together uh, the aggregate from uh, Dane Brugler uh, at The Athletic uh, and his three-round mock from uh, April 16th. We also took the uh, Kuiper McShay mock on ESPN uh, from April 20th last week. And uh, Chris Trapasso's uh, mock from CBS Sports uh, that was updated at the end of last week. So each of these was three rounds of picks. Uh, there's only some trading that goes on uh, just with the quarterbacks at the top of the first round. So it wasn't too hard to compile for uh, comparison purposes. And, you know, you mentioned uh, kind of useful insights as I was going through it. Uh, it definitely helps with filling in the gaps on, you know, some of the player grades you know, like these different wide receivers or running backs, you know, are they going to be first round grades, second, third, whatever. And, you know, it was also really interesting to see who wasn't included in these first three rounds of mocks. So, you know, guys that have kind of been creeping up my board and, you know, other people's boards like uh, Trey Sermon and uh, Seth Williams, you know, I mean, with, with Sermon, there's five running back needy teams uh, that we've identified in this draft, but, uh, you know, none of them uh, picked him in the first uh, three rounds. And Seth Williams is a guy I really like, but he also, you know, went undrafted in the first three rounds of these three different mocks. So it does make me fade them a little bit if I'm uh, doing a rookie draft before draft day. But uh, to Chris Harris's point, anything could um, or anything and everything could change uh, coming up this weekend. Yeah. And I mean, these are these are three or four guys that are very plugged into the NFL, plugged into kind of what they think teams need and what they think teams should do. So as data points, in, in, including them with our own opinions, I think is just a useful exercise. John, um, obviously this offseason is 
you know, different than most off seasons. You know, we didn't have a combine this year. Like even last year we had a combine. So we had that set of data points. So can you talk for a minute about what the lack of combine kind of does to our ability to project landing spots? Well, we were talking about it before the episode a little bit here. Just it's like we watched the same film and we can come to completely different uh, conclusions about a player. This is going to happen mm-hmm. with all 32 NFL teams. They got their scouts watching guys and they could watch the same film as the other scouts and see something completely different. So I fully expect to see surprises in every single round. Guys that you love fall to the fourth round. Guys that you hate be taken in the second or the third round because we just don't know. Uh, we we don't get the combine, the measurements, uh, the three cone. We don't get the 40 yard dash. But the big piece is we don't get the medical that we normally that the teams would normally get. We usually don't get that side of it anyway. But teams aren't going to want to take a risk on a player that they're not sure about. Uh, They're going to have to, obviously. But in terms of like uh, medical things, if there's any question about a player's inability to last long in the long run for the long game, if you will, then uh, (laughs) then uh, then they might fall in the draft. And so I fully expect to see a lot of surprises on Thursday. But hey, that's why we love to watch it. Right. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of variance. So with that in mind, I think how we wanted to structure this show is to talk about interesting teams, kind of that be the focus. And then we'll have a couple of um, extra points at the end that we cover. But uh, we're going to talk about seven teams kind of as the primary meat of this episode. And in the first half, we'll get to four of them. So let's jump right into that content. And the first team we're going to talk about is at pick four, we got Atlanta. So we kind of see Atlanta as a really interesting pivot point in the draft, like they could go one of a bunch of different directions that kind of um, will really structure how the rest of the top 10 and the rest of the first round goes. So um, Mitch, let me throw it to you. What do you what do you think about Atlanta here at pick four in the NFL draft? I think you said it best. I think pivot point is the best point that we could make here. We look at our draft. We look at our mock draft here. Dane Brugler taking Trey Lance, uh, having them take Trey Lance at pick four. Then we have Kyle Pitts uh, on Kuiper McShays and those Trapasso's draft here. Now, that's interesting. I I brought up the point that I, I think that a quarterback's going to go here, but I don't think it's going to go to Atlanta. I think this is one of those picks that they very much want to trade back and trade out of but if they don't get that if they don't get that trade offer or what they think is worth for it i actually i'm going against both or all three of these mocks i think they're they're taking sewell here i think that's the the falcons pick here and that's what's going to set the rest of the draft into a tizzy because when that player comes off the board then we're talking about best positional players like wide receivers off the board and it's going to make the Bengals' choice or easy next pick. But uh, Atlanta right here, like, I, I don't see them going quarterback. I see them trying to escape. But if they can't escape, I see them taking Sewell. What do you guys think? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think Sewell is a very minority pick for Atlanta there at pick four. I did recently hear Evan Silva saying that Sewell would be a great pick for Atlanta. Um, Like their offensive line isn't as good as maybe they'd like to think it is. Um, But I definitely agree with you that I don't necessarily see them going quarterback here. I see them either taking pits or trading back. That doesn't mean I think, I, I personally think they should take Trey Lance. Like I think you cannot, 
expect to be in a position in one or two years, a top five pick with this strength of quarterback class and expect that you're going to be there again in two years in position to take your successor successor to Matt Ryan. I think you just... But why are we trying to take a successor here? How many years ago did he win the NFL MVP? Why do we all think he's dead in the water? He has two top 26 wide receivers. We're all expecting him to take a running back later on. Like, why not... Well, why not continue to? Why not just? I, I wouldn't say we are all expecting them to take a running back. I don't expect that. Well, well. So if you look at the the mocks that we put together, right? So you know, Brugler and Kuiper McShay both have them going at to the running back position at the beginning of the second round. So that that does kind of support uh, Mitch's point there. But mm-hmm. the the question is, you know, if Matt Ryan isn't dead in the water, which I don't think he is. I mean, he's only what like thirty five, thirty six. So he, he's definitely got some more seasons left in him. Uh, then you got to try to, uh, you know, win with what you have now. So, you know, that supports going pits here, right? That's an elite offensive weapon and guys like that don't come around uh, very often either. Uh, it supports the idea of potentially going O-line, though I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I'm leaning towards more uh, seeing Atlanta uh, trade back and trade out of the pick forward here. I think there's just going to be too many other teams that are super quarterback hungry that are just going to you know, not be able to resist Lance or Fields or even Mac Jones if he falls to pick four. 100% with you there. I would not be surprised to see the Falcons trade out of four, but I I agree with what Trey was saying there. They've got Matt Ryan and they need to win now while they still have him. Uh, so I fully expect them to p- take the best player that gives them the best chance to win a championship this year or next year. And I I kind of agree with you, Trey. I think in that spot, it's got to be either Jamar Chase or it's got to be uh, Kyle Pitts like to make that instant impact. And since they already have Julio and they already have Calvin Ridley, then Pitts would be a solid pick there. Well, and apparently Julio Jones is on the block. That's the recent news we just got earlier this afternoon, right? Well, here's the thing. They could get reverse Julio'd here. I mean, they traded up from pick 27 in 2011 to pick six to get Julio. Who's to say somebody's not going to just roll up in here and get chased before anybody else thinks they have a chance at him. Jer- Jerry Jones going to back up the Brinks truck for uh, Kyle Pitts. Who knows, man? Yeah, Who maybe knows? I wouldn't be surprised. Well, here I'm, I, I need to make a separation between what I think they should do and what I think they're going to do, because what I think they're going to do is draft Kyle Pitts. So let me say, I agree with you there, but I think that Kyle Pitts is not the piece away from the Falcons winning a championship. I think they're so much further away than that. That's why I think they should draft Trey Lance here because I don't think that they're going to get an opportunity to draft a quarterback this high with this strength of class. But let's let's move on. Let's move on from pick four and talk about their their second round pick. Mitch, you had referenced that it's there's a high likelihood that they take a running back at the beginning of the second round. Um, so Brugler has them going Travis Etienne at pick 35, and Kuiper McShay has them going with Javante Williams. Um, what do we think about that pick? What, what, what would we like to see either way, either way? Well, so my thing is they brought in Mike Davis. So like, he's a great number two ETN would fit that mold better, but we're still talking about Arthur Smith and I'm a, I'm a Titans fan, right? Like I, I love what he did in Tennessee. And that's why, again, my previous pick is for an offensive lineman because like he wants to have those pieces in place. But if he wants a, a running back in the in the similar mold 
as what he had in Tennessee. Well, he's not going to find any either one of these guys, but the closest thing is going to be Javante. But what makes sense more is Etienne, I, I guess, because of what they already have there. They already got Mike Davis there. So the, that would be a nice one, too. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch agreed there. Um, I mean, it would be a nice one, too. Either way, really. Uh, Mike Davis showed plenty of pass catch, catching ability um, in Carolina, so he could do the third down work if Javante Williams was the guy or you know, vice versa if Etienne was the guy. I think with Arthur Smith as the head coach, what we're probably going to see is whoever, if they do draft a running back at the top of the second, that guy will be the guy, right? Like Derrick Henry was in Tennessee. So that is a great landing spot for uh, fantasy purposes if uh, one of those guys end up in uh, Atlanta. Yeah, we'll see. I, I'd like to think that Arthur Smith is the type of coach that structures his offense around the guys that he has rather than tries to replicate the offense he had in Tennessee, but that remains to be seen. Um, we'll move on here to Cincinnati, who is the next team that we're going to talk about. John, it seems pretty telegraphed here that they're going one of two directions, at least according to these mocks. But what do you think? Yeah, the mocks seem to suggest that there's only two areas that they need here, either an offensive lineman and uh a receiving option that they don't currently have, which is funny because they seem to have plenty. But uh, that uh, what I think they ought to do is go offensive line first and then go ahead and get a pass catcher in the second round. Uh, but there seems to be some disagreement there because of Jamar Chase and his availability at that point in time. And uh, I think that if Jamar Chase is the choice there, then he's the alpha and T. Higgins is the second guy, uh, which has obvious dynasty implications uh, but if they wait until the second round to grab somebody else um, and these mocks have a bunch of nobodies going there in the second <laughs> round uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I think that there's still quality talent that's going to be there in the second round they keep saying hey there's quality offensive lineman talent in the second round there's also high quality wide receiver talent in the second round so nothing's going to surprise me the only thing that would surprise me if one and two were not an offensive lineman and a receiving option yeah, so on that, all three mocks have them in the first two rounds taking either a receiver or an offensive lineman. Uh, Trey, why don't you, John referenced the uh, two receivers that are going in the second round according to two mocks. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so basically Kuiper McShay uh, have the Bengals going Panay Sewell, the tackle out of Oregon in the first round, and then they have him uh, the team going 2-2 Atwell wide receiver from Louisville in the second. Uh, Chris Trapasso also has them going Sewell in the first, and then Cornell Powell, wide receiver out of Clemson in the second at pick 38. Uh, I would be very surprised to see either of these guys go that high in the second round. Uh, these are guys that we completely ignored a couple weeks ago when we did our rookie wide receiver rankings. So yeah, it, I mean, to John's point, there's going to be tons of other talent available. There's going to be guys like uh, Deami Brown, potentially Terrace Marshall if he drops out of the first, maybe Rondell Moore, who would probably be just as good options, if not better, especially for fantasy purposes. For sure. Mitch, what you got? Yeah, not sure what's going on with those two mock drafts there. Like Sewell, of course, but what I just said previously, I think he's going to be gone. Jamar Chase is the guy. I, I would not be, I would be most surprised if uh, Joe Burrow was not up there holding the card, announcing the pick for Jamar Chase. That, <laughs> like, it's I I know it's like we're we're doing the narrative here the LSU but it's gonna happen and if if that O lineman if Sewell's on the board yes but 
like you said, Trey, those two wide receivers are horrible second round. Two two Atwell and Cornell Powell. No, no fucking way. I don't think it's helmet scouting or whatever in this instance. I actually agree with you. I think Joe Burrow really is banging the table for the pick to be Jamar Chase. And I think that holds a lot of sway in that organization. Um, Evan Silva in that mock draft episode I was talking about, he had kind of mentioned, you know, he thought that the front office was kind of locked in on Penny Sewell until Joe Burrow uh, kind of made his case for Jamar Chase to be the pick. And Evan Silva is another guy that he's he's historically been one of the most accurate mock drafters in the industry. Um, so I, I really trust what's going on there. Let's let's just assume that Jamar Chase ends up being the pick. John, how are you going to be evaluating T. Higgins in that scenario? Well, I, I've thought about it a lot. And I think the bigger question is, can Joe Burrow support two wide receiver ones? Because in my dynasty rankings... I've got T. Higgins and Jamar Chase as both as dynasty wide receiver ones. Right. And if the answer is yes, then I think that you don't have to devalue D- T. Higgins very much. I, I'm still going to put Jamar Chase ahead of T. Higgins just because I think he's that guy. I think he's an alpha. But I think I could st- see them both reasonably ranked in the top 12 for dynasty. And maybe not next year, but I think in the long run, Joe Burrow probably can support two wide receiver ones season by season. But I would definitely put Jamar Chase above T. Higgins in my rankings in that situation. Yeah, John, I was listening to the uh, the DLF, uh, or excuse me, it was the Fantasy Footballers podcast earlier this week, and they were talking about, um, you know, what to expect out of Burrow and Higgins uh, coming into next year. And, uh, you know, Burrow is coming off of a massive uh, knee injury, right? It, basically every single ligament that he could have torn in that knee, he did. Uh, so he's not even a lock to really be available at full health week one, right? So... We should probably expect Burrow to, you know, take those first two or three weeks to kind of work his way back into the swing of things. Uh, I I would definitely fade Higgins a little bit <laughs> if Chase came in there. I mean, there's there's only so many targets to go around. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't love the Chase pick if I was a Higgins owner. Yeah, I saw the and that episode of the fantasy footballers. They had T Higgins for their 2021 rankings ranked as like wide receiver 30 which was no fucking way, a little man. disrespectful in my opinion, but uh, because he like finished higher than that in his rookie year. So I was a little bit taken aback by what they were saying in that episode, but you know, they're fading. So that that's, that's their prerogative, I guess. Let's move on to uh, the next pick. So this is going to be both pick six and pick 18. And that is the Miami Dolphins. So this is the, the third interesting team that we're going to talk about here. I've been a really big fan of what Brian Flores and the front office are doing in Miami. Uh, They've just kind of executed a rebuild very swiftly and very effectively. Last year, they spent a lot of capital on kind of the infrastructural positions on the defensive side or free agency on the defensive side and picks kind of on the offensive line. And it's clear kind of both from what we see as well as what these three mock drafters see that they need pass catchers and weapons around Tua. So Trey, talk to us about what you're seeing from these three mock drafts as it as it pertains to the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, yeah. So Miami has a lot of draft capital to work with this year, uh, thanks to that Laramie Tunsil trade to Houston. So they've ended up with five picks in the first three rounds. Uh, Kuiper McShay and Chris Trapasso both think Jamar Chase is going to fall to Miami here and that that's going to be the pick at pick six despite uh, Vince's lock that uh, Jamar Chase is going to be a Bengal. Uh, 
And then uh, Brugler's got Kyle Pitts here uh, falling to pick six to Miami. So uh, definitely elite pass catching options coming off the board uh, at the top of the first round for the Dolphins. Uh, if you go down to pick 18, it's defensive front seven across the board, three different players. Uh, linebacker Micah Parsons from Penn State, uh, linebacker uh, <laughs> Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa from Notre Dame. I'm just going to plow right through that name and hope I got it right. And then uh, Aziz Alujare uh, Edge from uh, Georgia. So a lot of front seven help uh, to go with the uh, offensive weapons that they're building. Um, so, you know, this is a, a good young team that's getting better and they're getting younger too. So, um, you know, that said, uh, if you drop down to pick 36 at the top of round two, uh, there's two running backs coming off the board here for Miami. So Brugler's got Javante Williams running back from North Carolina and Chris Trapasso has Najee Harris uh, falling past the Steelers uh, to Miami here in the second. So, you know, this is definitely an attractive running back landing spot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they need weapons uh, to help out that offense with it. Miles Gaskin was their leading rusher last year and he was a seventh rounder. So uh, yeah, I could definitely see uh, the draft playing out this way for Miami. Uh, but also, anytime I see a team with this many picks, I also kind of think, well, they could trade up if they see a guy they really like start to fall. Yeah, we've already seen them move around plenty, so that's certainly a possibility. See, there's no way for me to see the draft actually playing out that way for the Dolphins because it just seems too good to be true. I think all of these spots that we're laying out for these guys are ideal, and that's why whenever they take like a an offensive guard or a, a linebacker, we're all going to be like, oh, but it was so perfect for et cetera. So, right, but, right. but, but I'm with you. I, I'm with you and I'm with the mocks here. I, I think that they're going to take a pass catcher, but I think like I previously mentioned, I think Jamar Chase is going to be off the board. I think Pitts is the guy here. I think Pitts to the yeah. Dolphins just keeps making more sense to me. Jacecki can pay can play in the uh the more traditional inside sense and uh Kyle Pitts can play in that slot role that he's always played in and uh, yeah they if if Pitts goes before them then Jamar Chase of course like why not i they're, they're going to get the pass catcher that they want and yeah but look there's a really good chance that Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts go at four and five so if that does happen which isn't projected in any of these mocks but if it does John who do you see being the potential pass catcher there that they pick at six well if uh Pitts is gone and Chase is gone I don't see it as Smith uh Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle because those guys profile they're better than Will Fuller, but they have a similar profile as Will Fuller. They don't, that's not a significant upgrade. They really need that alpha on the outside. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them take a guy like Bateman because he'd be the next guy that's kind of, that fits that profile. They need a receiver, but they don't need another Will Fuller. So um, Devontae Smith and, and uh, Jalen Waddle, they just, they're too similar to what they went and got in free agency for me. Um, so, so you're saying that maybe they'll take a guy like Sewell at six and then draft a Bateman at pick 18 exactly. in, instead of, um, instead of the linebackers that are going here. Yeah. And, and that would be a great pick for Miami because they do have a big uh, need on the O-line. Uh, so even with the success that, uh, Gaskin had last year, that's not uh, an above average O-line in Miami. So, right. uh, if you're looking at these mocks, uh, Kuiper McShay has them going, uh, 
uh, to the tackle position uh, twice in the second round, which would be a huge get for Miami. But if they could get Sewell in the first, then that's somebody who's going to solve uh, the problems on the O-line for them for 10 years plus. Tua would love that. Oh, yeah. This this Kuiper McShay mock is amazing for Miami. Chase at pick five, then uh, the tackle from Notre Dame, Eichenberg in the second round, and then Sam Cosme from Texas. So that's that's repping my alma mater and Trey's alma mater on the offensive line there in the second round. Also, quick note, uh, the Brugler mock has Miami in the third round going with uh, on Bra St. Brown, which uh, I think would be a really good fit there with as a slot target. All right. Uh, we are going to move on to our fourth team, our final team before we do our halftime segment, and that is the Detroit Lions at pick seven. And what I primarily wanted to talk about with the Detroit Lions is all three mocks have them picking a wide receiver either in the first or the second round. And I think it's reasonably likely that that happens, right? So they're either going to pick a wide receiver there at pick seven, somebody like Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith. Uh, which Chris Trapasso has them taking Jalen Waddle, or in the second round they'll take a Terrace Marshall, a Diami Brown, uh, which are going in the other mocks. And the reason I wanted to highlight this is because I think there's going to be a narrative out there when a good receiver lands in Detroit that he should be a fade because Detroit as a landing spot isn't that great because they're in the beginning of a teardown and everybody's down and fading Jared Goff. But I just I just want to say not so fast. Like, I think Jared Goff can support at least one fantasy relevant receiver. And if it's a receiver that you were going into the NFL draft feeling really good about, I think you should still feel good about that landing spot. I think at worst, Detroit is a situation neutral landing spot for a talented wide receiver. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, no, I like it. I, I do think that, um, you know, people are going to fade Goff, like you said. People are going to fade the situation because it's not a great situation. But, you know, if a receiver does end up there in the first or second round, then they're immediately going to be the number one option in that offense. And uh, this is a team that's going to probably lose a lot of games. There's probably going to be in a lot of game scripts where they're going to need to pass their way out of it. So that receiver should get a lot of targets in the process. Oh, absolutely, man. And we never faded on Calvin Johnson. We never faded on uh, Kenny G. If they have a true number one guy there, Jared Goff, like we've said, has proven to support wide receivers. Even if he doesn't have his old guy, if he doesn't have McVay there helping him out, he can still support somebody, especially if they game plan for a first round pick or a second round pick. Uh, do not fade on Detroit. I'm with you guys here. Yeah, and, and just going back to the mocks here. Uh, so it looks like in, in Kuiper McShay and in Chris Trapasso, Detroit is a trade down option. So in Kuiper McShay, Detroit's trading down with uh, New England so they can get Mac Jones at seven. And for uh, Trapasso's mock, uh, they're trading uh, down um, with Denver so Denver can get Trey Lance. So I guess, you know, we'll see if that if it works out that way, uh, you know, because it's in these mocks. I mean, maybe that means it's not actually going to happen. Uh, but, you know, this is all just pure speculation. But uh, with those extra picks, that's going to give uh, Detroit the opportunity to you know, dip into this wide receiver well early, as well as, you know, fix some of their other needs on uh, defense and uh, potentially the offensive line. Yeah. The previous regime for Detroit spent the last two years, they got Hawk in the first round and Swift. Uh, I think they got Swift in the second round, but they spent early draft capital 
on uh, play in the playmaker position. And to say it didn't go great is probably an understatement. I think Detroit's going to lose every game this season, and that's their goal. Uh, and so I think trading down makes a lot of sense. And even if they do pick at seven, I'd be surprised if they took a receiver there. Just makes more sense for where they're at to try and take a lineman or something just to embrace the tank, as they say. Yeah, I, I mean, I also think that this would be a great place for Trey Lance to land if he did fall that far. Yeah. Uh, it's looking like he's probably not going to. You know, these quarterbacks always go higher than we think. This would be a good spot for the the Pats to trade up for Justin Fields as well, mm-hmm. right? Like how Trapasso, so Trapasso, or no, uh, Kuiper McShay have the Pats trading up for Mac Jones here, right? So, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, if you're Detroit, why not take the quarterback? Or, do you really think Goff is the answer? Like, what's the point of giving? Yeah, because you just paid up for Goff, and you expect to suck. Maybe you don't take the quarterback this year. Maybe you, you're looking to do that next year and build the infrastructure this year. But we're also talking about Detroit, and we're <laughs> trying to talk about infrastructure at the same time. So you know, yeah, you're you're paying Goff a lot of money, um, and at the same time, I think they understand where they're at. Right. So they understand that if they can trade back and build more draft capital, I think they will see that as a good thing. Like they'll see the next couple of years. Right. Because remember, the the pick that they got in order to take on Goff and trade away Stafford isn't until uh, 2022. Right. So we kind of can see their timeline a little bit. Right. Um, so I, I think it makes sense them being a trade back candidate here in, in multiple mocks. Well, to John's point, they better not win more than, uh, you know, three or four games. Otherwise, they're going to screw up those plans. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Embrace the tank. Luckily for them, their roster looks like they're ready to embrace that. Yeah. Hey, you know, I'm, I still believe in DeAndre Swift. I'm, I'm hanging on. That's Ooh, nice, right. They're going to dump it off to him a hundred times. So hopefully he can really stay nice. healthy. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Mike check. For it is halftime. <laughs> a reminder, uh, our halftime segment, uh, I ask a question and each of our panelists here give me a response that is argument-based and I choose somewhat arbitrarily who I think made the best argument. Here's the question this week, boys. Which of the following likely running back landing spots is the most attractive for fantasy? So we have five running back landing spots. Pittsburgh, Miami, Atlanta, Jacksonville, and the New York Jets. We are going to start with Mitchell James Yates. Go for it. Let's go. Let's go with Atlanta. Let's not forget that this offense has two top 26 fantasy wide receivers in Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. Uh, The Mike Davis signing, like I mentioned earlier, he's a great number two. But if we're talking about Atlanta drafting, one of the top running backs like Najee, ETN, Javante Williams, something like that. We're not worried about Mike Davis interfering with those carries. So whichever one lands in Atlanta is going to get an immediate situation boost, regardless of whether it's a top guy. Say it's like a President Carter or a Sermon. He's still going to get a big boost for going to Atlanta. Atlanta's my team. Let's go. All right, John, you're next. I'm going to go unconventional here, and I'm going to say the New York Jets. Uh, Robert Salas said in his press conference last week that he has the best offensive scheme in the NFL. Uh, with LaFleur. He brought LaFleur over with him, uh, who was running that San Francisco scheme. So all the things you say about San Francisco's running game, you should be saying about the Jets as well. 
Now, I like the Jets' run, uh, running situation for a couple of reasons here. They're going to have a rookie qu quarterback, and they're going to run the ball a lot until that rookie quarterback is comfortable in the system. Additionally, there's nobody with draft capital in front of whoever they draft. Uh, they've got Ty Mon Montgomery. they got LaMichael Pirine. That's about it. That Not a lot of draft capital. So whoever they draft is gonna got a good shot to step in there day one and be the number one. So I love that situation with the Jets. Okay. So we got Atlanta from Mitch and the New York football Jets from John. Trey, take us home. All right. Well, I'm going to go with Miami. So uh, John failed to uh, account for Tevin Coleman. I mean, I know he's he's kind of forgettable, but they did just sign him in free agency. So he is probably going to get some work. I mean, he's a San Francisco guy. And uh, the, the thing that scares me about Atlanta is just uh, the Arthur Smith offense does not like passing to the running back position. Uh, we only saw uh, the running back position get 58 targets in the passing game, which was basically bottom of the league last year in Tennessee. Uh, meanwhile, Miami loves throwing to their running back. They were... Uh, top six in targets thrown to the running back position with 132, uh, more than double uh, what uh, Tennessee had last year. And we just saw Miles Gaskin put up 14.4 half PPR points per game in 2020, which was you know better than a lot of other top 10 uh, running backs. And he was a seventh rounder in the draft. So if they get a guy with first or second round draft capital and they get that O-line help that they need and that wide receiver room uh, improves and opens up more running lanes, then... Yeah, Miami's the best landing spot. Mr. Gaskin, with the most to gain from the draft, continuously has the most to gain from the draft. I love that. Well, hey, look, if they don't get a running back, then Gaskin would be <laughs> in a great spot. But if they do get a running back, then that guy would be in an even better spot. I think, okay. So it's it's going to be between Mitch and Trey. And this is why I'm DQing John, because you can't just disrespect my boy Kyle Shanahan like that and say that Mike LaFleur was running that system in San Francisco, please. I said, please. I didn't say running. I No, I, that's exactly what you said. Check the tape. <laughs> Check, Check the, the tape. tape. Where's Kyle? <laughs> uh, all right. So between Mitch and Trey, and I, I think both of y'all made really great arguments. I think Mitch came out the gate strong. I think I'm going to give it to Trey because I like how he worked to discredit both his colleagues before he got into his argument. And you his didn't like it when I did that last week, motherfucker. And it only took him an extra minute to do it too. Man, there's a lot of complaining at this halftime. Is there? I, I, Mitch, last week, Mitch, last week, I said that I really liked how you framed your argument. I just had a nitpick with with the the execution. So I don't I don't think I'm being inconsistent here. You know. Uh, well, the Twitter thought that I was right last week, so we'll see if they think I'm right this week too. Yeah, yeah. Twitter Twitter called bullshit on my take last week. What, so. what was the result of that? I don't even. remember. I fucking won it, just like I did this week. Joe Burrow's got nothing to gain in Dynasty Value. Give me a break. Shut the fuck. One up. whole one whole slot uh, in ADP. <laughs> <laughs> all right so that gives trey a two-point lead on the other two we got trey with three points and then john with one point and mitch with one point you know so super exciting we'll we'll keep track of that having a good time are we i'm thrilled i'm thrilled let's get let's we're move come on get, we're coming for you trey we're coming for you let us move on to the second half where we're going to talk about three more teams and then we got a few little extra morsels at the end to to wet your palate before we leave you. 
All right, so uh, the next team we're going to talk about is the Washington football team at pick 19. And this is an interesting talking point because they're a very underratedly complete team. So they're kind of in a great position to take whoever the fuck they want. Mitch, why don't you talk to us about WFT? I'm going to double down on what you just said. The division champs are perhaps the most under-the-radar team they should not be under the radar at all, though. Let's do a quick roster update then. We got Brian Fitzmagic at quarterback. We have Gibson at running back. Scary Terry at wide receiver with Curtis Samuel. And then you got about a 1,000 other guys at wide receiver. You got the two Sims. Uh, don't forget about the Adam Humphreys signing. Uh, that guy is going to play out of the slot when he's healthy, as he did in Tennessee. Don't forget about AGG. This is a crowded-ass room, and that's why I'm starting to go against what these mocks are saying with them taking a wide receiver, because this team can take whatever they want. They are good on defense. They are, what, fourth, the number four overrated defense, overrated, <laughs> well, maybe, the number four rated defense, uh, the number six rated offensive line. This is per pro football focus, right? Yeah, yeah. And th this is best player available. Last year, they took Chase Young at two, Gibson in the third round, a tackle, AGG, and then a center. So, uh, again, this is that kind of wild card part of the draft where we're, we're hoping that maybe they get a good fantasy-relevant player, but I think this team just improves in the trenches here because that that's what uh, Ron Rivera is going to want to do here. Mitch, uh, I mean, so just looking at uh, what's coming on the uh, these mock draft boards here, um, I agree with you. I d it doesn't look like they're going to go wide receiver. Kadarius Toney is the only receiver um, kind of mocked to them in the first and second round. And, you know, that's pick, uh, falling to pick 51 in Dane Brugler's draft, which I guess is a value um, according to these NFL <laughs> uh, analysts, but uh, not to us in the dynasty world. Uh, what's interesting to me is the the onesies that are coming off the board for Washington. So they've uh, Kuiper McShay and Chris Trapasso both have them going Davis Mills, the quarterback out of Stanford in the second round, uh, which Tarek, I know you're high on that guy. And uh, yeah, if, if he's kind of a raw prospect who didn't really get a lot of starting experience in college, then yeah, maybe he does develop for a year behind uh, Fitzmagic. Yeah, uh, I, I am really high on Davis Mills. I think he's only got 11 career starts there at Stanford, which is, you know, not something that you want to take a stab on in the first round. But in the second round, it's great because in his starts, he showed a really great ability to go through complex reads and he showed good accuracy and an ability to make throws at all level of the field. So Two out of three mocks here have them going Davis Mills at pick 51 in the second round, and I love it. I think he's perfect to sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick for a, for a year. John, what are you uh, thinking about these picks here uh, for the Washington football team, and what do you want to happen? Well, I think the only thing they obviously need is a quarterback, and by making the playoffs, by they were the de facto uh, division champion. They kind of took themselves out of the quarterback conversation, so... I, I don't know. Like last year, we saw something strange happen where the Packers took the uh, love in the first round kind of at the end there and took everybody by surprise. And I wonder if something similar might happen this year, if maybe they try to make a move for a quarterback, because honestly, that's all they really need. But if they build up the offensive line this year and try to get a quarterback later, I think that makes a lot of sense too. Washington's a really complete team. And 
I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them just load up more on defense and because that's how they were winning all the games last year anyway. Just go double down, uh, double all in. I want to get that one on the record on the defense. If you're going to go double all in, though, why take a project quarterback late? Uh, they already fucked up with Dwayne Haskins. And I I don't know. I, I think if you're going to go out and sign Ryan Fitzmagic, yeah, he's the ultimate, like, grooming quarterback for a rookie quarterback but i don't know if that's the idea here like that they're gonna they're gonna ride on that that defense and with those talented players this isn't i i don't see this as the opportunity to groom i see this as the opportunity to just go for it because that division is so weak sure all right well getting back to fantasy football trey let me ask you Two of the three mocks have them taking a tight end in the third round. Dane Brugler has Brevin Jordan going there at pick 74. And Chris Trapasso has Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame going there at pick 82. What would you think about uh, a, a fringe tight end prospect landing here on day two? You know, the fact that a uh, tight end is kind of identified as a need uh, maybe tells me these analysts aren't as impressed with uh, Logan Thomas as I am. Uh, you know, Logan Thomas is a super athletic former quarterback who, you know, finally put it all together last season and uh, ended up as a top uh, five uh, tight end and, uh, you know, PPR scoring. So, you know, seeing Brevin Jordan or Tommy Trimble, neither one of those guys seem like immediate threats to Logan Thomas, but he is older, right? So it does make sense to kind of restock at the position to get some young top talent in that room. So uh, between the two of them, I think Tommy Trimble is the better athlete, but Brevin Jordan is probably the better actual tight end. Uh, I would probably fade both of them and just see kind of who develops down the road. Sure. Okay, let's move on to our next team here. And um, we're going with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we're talking about them here instead of at the very top because we all know what they're going to do at pick one. But they also have a pick at pick 25 in the first round. Um, And there are just some really fascinating landing spots from these three mocks as well as other mocks that we've seen. So John, why don't you talk a little bit about the Jacksonville Jaguars and what's going on here at pick 25? So uh, we all know Trevor's going at one. That's that's like, but what really surprised me about these three mocks that we look at, all three of them have Jacksonville going with a receiving option at at, uh, the 25th overall pick. So at the end of the first round there, and then in the second round of, of two of the three, they have them going running back. Um, which is surprising to me because I don't necessarily think uh, receiver is an area of need. And I don't necessarily think that running back's an area of need. But if they go wide receiver at the end of the first round, I'm not too worried about uh, DJ Chark. I'm not too worried about Marvin Jones. I think they're probably pretty solid on the outside there. All three of the guys in these mocks, they're all slot guys. Elijah Moore, Kadarius Toney, Rondale Moore. Uh, if I was LaVisca Chenault, I would be scared to tears because that's it's like, what role is he going to have on that team? But that being said, uh, Urban Meyer is a very creative guy and he could easily have four wide receivers on the field at any given time. So let's just wait and see what Urban's going to do. Now, the bigger concern here is if they land a guy like Travis Etienne or Javante Williams, because that is going to be harder to justify the role of uh uh, James Robinson there in Jacksonville. So that really interesting stuff is going to come. And we don't really know what this new regime is going to do. They're going to need to make their mark. And so what they do in the draft here is really going to tell us how they feel about the offense going on out there. 
John, I think you're you're absolutely right there because we all have a lot of projections here of what the the Jaguars are going to do, but what they're going to pick is going to really illustrate exactly how this is going to go down because I do not see them at all drafting a wide receiver at pick 25 like all three of these mocks say. That does not make sense to me in the slightest. ETN at 25 makes sense where the the Kuiper McShay has him actually in the uh, that pick 33 in the second round, but I don't think he'll be available. I think that would make sense in the 25th pick, but he would complement uh, Robinson in that regard, and that's why I think that would make sense. But no, I I would not be shitting my pants if I was Visca. I think that he showed enough last year, especially that he's going to be just fine in that wide receiver position. Well, with uh, Visca, I mean, he's a little bit bigger than uh, these other guys, right? Like, he kind of projects more as a big slot, like almost the same type of build as a guy like A.J. Brown, you know, not quite the freak athlete. So, you know, obviously, this the story of this rookie class is they're all 5'9", you know, minions from Despicable Me. So uh, <laughs> none of these guys are really going to play, like, the same role that Chanel does, where he's, you know, maybe more of an inside-out guy getting more of that outside work. I really know I'm not scared of Marvin Jones, <laughs> to, to be honest, right? Uh, so I, I could see a world where Marvin Jones is only on that team for a year. Uh, they do go slot here at the end of the first round, and Visca Chenault kind of does a combo inside-outside role depending on the formation. But I don't think there's any way that we can support four wide receivers here, even with Urban oh, absolutely situation. Not. No way, John. And you know what? I'm 5'9", and I think that... <laughs> Look, because of my biases about these players, if I am a LaVisca Chenault manager, I'm really worried if they pick Elijah Moore at pick 25. I'm not that worried if they pick Kadarius Tony, And I'm like, fine if they pick Rondale Moore. But that's just because I'm, ex- I'm like... Wrongdale Moore. Wrongdale, excuse me. Wrongdale Moore. I am very high on Elijah Moore. I think he's a very, very good player. And I think he would become at least the number two option in that offense if that did happen. Um, But yeah, this is really fascinating. Brugler also has them going with Pat Fryermuth later in the second round at pick 45. I've seen a couple mocks that have Pat Fryermuth still going to Jacksonville, but all the way up at pick 33. The, The moral of the story here is I think most people that are plugged into the NFL expect that the Jaguars are going to emphasize not only picking their franchise quarterback, but building around their franchise quarterback offensively. So that's what, when I look at this chart of these players that are being mocked here, that's what I think the general mood is. They they want to pick Trevor, and they also want to pick as many players as they can to support Trevor. Yeah, Tarek, to that point, every single one of these mocks has an interior offensive lineman going at the first pick in the third round. So that just shows more uh, love and support for uh, their new uh, starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, their defense is still going to be fucking terrible, but um, yeah. You know, I, I think first things first, you know, support your quarterback and then you can worry about the defense later. Yeah, keep them alive at least. Yeah. Let's move on to our seventh and final kind of interesting team review, and that is the Baltimore Ravens. So all of these mocks actually happened before they did the Orlando Brown trade with the Chiefs. So now they have two first round picks, pick 27 and pick 31. And 
Basically, what that says to me is as telegraphed as it was before that they were taking a receiver early in the draft, it's almost a lock now. Um, so, Trey, what do you think about these uh, two picks at the end of the first for the Baltimore Ravens when it comes to dynasty football? Right. So Baltimore is going to pick at pick 27 and at pick 31 now with the Kansas City uh, pick. And I do agree with you that it is a lock that they're going to get a wide receiver with one of those two picks. Uh, compare this to Jacksonville, where Jacksonville uh, was targeting the uh, the shorter slot guys. Baltimore is getting mocked the bigger outside uh, type receivers with Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota, uh, and Dane Brugler's mock. And then Kuiper McShay and Chris Trapasso both mocking Terrace Marshall, wide receiver from LSU, uh, six foot two option uh, to, to Baltimore. So you know, we, we saw them bring in Dez last year, right? Because they they recognized that they needed help at the wide receiver position. And obviously, you know, Dez is he's kind of old. He's kind of past his prime. And, you know, he, he put in a good effort uh, for him, but I think he got hurt and right. And he's already off the team. So um, I think Baltimore is realizing what a lot of other people in the dynasty community is are realizing is that Hollywood Brown is not really a number one guy and he needs a real. All right, calm down. <laughs> Mitch is furious at me right now, but uh, he's not. He's 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 just not the kind of guy who's going to take over and be like the main alpha option in that offense. So, you know, that's what. No, you're right. May I cut in? I, I'm going to anyway. So so Hollywood Hollywood is Robin, right? But uh, I I here here we go. No 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 Bateman. That's the number one guy. That's the number one guy. Mitch- in Mitch Baltimore. is definitely the first one to ever make that comp yeah. between Rashad Bateman. Nobody's and heard oh, that man. before, but I he has his Robin. He's got Hollywood Robin, and we got Bateman as the the big guy, right? So I think with that that offense there in Baltimore, they need that taller wide receiver. It's telegraphed. I didn't want to admit it, but now that I've accepted it, I think that Hollywood can still fulfill his role. If they draft that taller wide receiver, if they draft another slotty guy, I I don't know what the hell they're doing in Baltimore. But as we said, you know, reform Lamar, reform, reform. So so what you're saying is is that you agree with me essentially, right? No 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 no, Bateman, John. So uh, what do you think about Baltimore as a wide receiver landing spot from a fantasy football? Uh, perspective because we have multiple times on this podcast kind of done the whole oof thing with Baltimore but there's been a lot of conversation on Twitter in the last couple of days about maybe this isn't as bad as we're thinking it is I think Baltimore could definitely support one wide receiver I don't I they're run first obviously I, I'm more interested in the running backs but I think Bateman uh, he's a tier two kind of guy for me and he'd be tier one if Jamar Chase wasn't in this uh wasn't in the uh the draft at all if it's Bateman I still like him I don't like him I'd like him at the end of tier two at that point I'm gonna kick him to the end where I've got I've got three guys ahead of him in tier two but I'm still taking him in the top 10 if uh if it's Bateman but if it's like a Terrace Marshall if it's uh uh, one of these slot guys like Mitch said I'm out I'm not messing around because it's got to be a guy that I'm sure is better than Hollywood Brown that's the key Bigger, bigger. And we know that Lamar Jackson can push it down the field. 
Uh, there's been some debate on how accurate he is. We're not going to rehearse that here. What this reminds me of when they made the move with the Chiefs, it kind of reminded me of what Minnesota did last year. Now they were Minnesota was sending away a receiver and they ended up choosing a receiver with one of their first round picks. But it just reminds me like they traded for another late first because they wanted to kind of have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to select uh, a receiver that they can feel good about, but they also wanted to have another pick where they could they could take the best player available and kind of like build whatever other uh, position they're thinking is the need there. So I'm like I said in the beginning, I think this essentially like guarantees that Baltimore is 100% taking a wide receiver with one of these picks. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was 27 over 31 because they want to get their guy. All right, so that is the seven teams. We talked about Atlanta, Cincinnati, Miami, Detroit, the football team, the Jaguars, and the Ravens. Uh, there's a few other things that I wanted to talk about after kind of looking at what Trey did in aggregating these mocks. Uh, and I wanted to spend a few minutes on three receivers that we didn't talk about on our uh, our wide receiver episode, but all three of them got day two capital uh, in these mocks. So I think we need to pay attention to them. And those three receivers are Amari Rogers from Clemson, Tutu Atwill from Louisville, and Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. Let's start with Tutu Atwill. Obviously, extremely undersized guy. We're talking 150 pounds. And Todd McShay in, in his mock has him going to Cincinnati in the early second round. And I've heard McShay talk about how he likes him because he's both fast and quick and he can separate really well and he's dynamite in the open field. But Mitch, wow, that's that's small. That's quite small. And I honestly think the only thing he's going to separate himself from is his bones and fucking ligaments, dude, because 150 getting hit. Don't make that face, man. Listen, it. Do you know how do you know how big people are in the NFL? Like 150? Who who has been who has weighed in at 150 in the NFL recently? I have no, I have no it, idea. The answer is no, dude. Don't do that. I feel terrified for this guy. And if I'm a fantasy manager, it, it, none of my picks, I don't care how late I'm picking or going for this guy. I'm sorry, man. 150 LBs? Nah, dog. Yeah, I mean, he should be playing kicker at that weight, right? <laughs> yeah, I I heard on the first draft podcast, so that's with Kuiper and McShay. McShay say, oh, you know, Tutu Atwell somewhere around 170 pounds. So uh, he was being very generous uh, when he made this mock. I wonder if he's kind of faded off of that since he weighed in recently at the medical combine or whatever at 149 pounds. I guess, you know, we'll see. So there's two other guys. There's Dwayne Eskridge and Amari Rogers. John, did you want to talk about either of these guys? Uh, I think Amari Rogers is the of the three guys you brought up here. He's got the best chance to be something. He was that primary guy for Trevor Lawrence last year. He's a little bit older. Uh, because he had a bad injury early in his college career. But he definitely showed out at Clemson last year. He looked really solid. Uh, I'm afraid that he might fall into that role of being really good for the NFL team that he gets drafted to and maybe not as good for fantasy uh, just because he's going to be a solid support depth player. I don't I don't think he's going to project as a wide receiver one. He he if he's in the right situation, he could be a wide receiver two for a team. But it's more I think it's more likely he ends up as a wide receiver three. Yeah, and John, uh, for Amari Rogers, yes, he is a senior, 
uh, but he's also only 21, right? So compared to Dwayne Eskridge, who somehow is 24 years old and going to be a rookie, uh, I don't know who wants to draft a 24-year-old rookie from the MAC uh, to their <laughs> dynasty team. But if you want him, he's going to be there because I'm 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 not going for Eskridge. Uh, I'll probably pass on Tutu Atwell in the 150-pound frame as well. I, I agree. I think Amari Rogers is the best dynasty choice. DLF has him as ADP 13 uh, in their ADP, um, so they agree with me. Uh, and yeah, I mean, but all of these guys are five foot nine, right? So they kind of all fill similar roles as slot players and deep threat. But Amari Rogers' uh, experience at Clemson definitely, I think, will translate the best to the pros. Yeah, I'm with you guys on that one. For me, he is probably going to be a Cordero Patterson type guy, where he's pretty big, pretty fast. Uh, he'll be utilized in a way that won't get you a whole lot of fantasy points and you won't want to start him, but he's just kind of like a big fucking Curtis Samuel, like yeah. BFCS. That's what I'll call him. Oh, because he's 212 pounds, right? So he's got that, that yeah, body mass. Big fucking, yeah, big fucking Curtis Samuel up in here, man. Yeah, yeah. I think the easy comp is Debo Samuel at 5'9", 212, you know, kind of plays like a running back once he's got the ball in his hand, but doesn't really succeed as a route runner. So we won't... We won't talk about what he looks like this episode, though. <laughs> or what he tastes like. All right. Um, so those are those three receivers that all got day two capital that we didn't talk about on the receiver rep- episode. So it kind of behooved us to mention them. Let's keep talking about receivers uh, before we close out the show, because there are tens of receivers that went either in one mock and not the others or went in two mocks, uh, but not the last mock. So I just kind of want to open the floor for each one of you to talk about a deeper receiver that we didn't talk about on our receiver episode, um, but showed up in one or two of these mocks. Um, John, do you want to get us started? Yeah, sure. A guy that I've kind of got my eye on to see if he slips into the third round is Demetric Felton out of UCLA. And the reason I find him interesting is he actually played running back at UCLA, but he's being projected. You mean basketball? (laughs) No, running back. Uh, He's being projected as a wide receiver in the NFL. And I I have a particular bias in these players who kind of double as a running back and a wide receiver. I like the Curtis Samuels. I like the JD McKissicks. I like the guys that can win multiple ways because that's just good for fantasy. So if Demetric Felton finds a way to slip into round three, perhaps, um, I expect him to produce... He's definitely got more of a... He's like a small wide receiver. I don't expect him to play running back. But he has that ability and experience uh, to get those rushing yards in addition to uh, receiving yards. So just a guy to keep your eye on. And maybe he'll keep that running back eligibility. Uh, Like J.D. McKissick and Sleeper last year, I think, had running back and wide receiver eligibility. Trey, why don't you talk to us about a guy you're keeping your eye on here? Yeah, so out of all of the guys here that were only picked in one of these mocks in the third round. None of them are super interesting to me. Uh, The one guy I will talk about is Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn. Uh, He was, he's right now he's DLF ADP 18 and Kuiper McShay have him going at the end of round two to Cleveland. Uh, He is a a very fast receiver. He ran a four, two, seven at his pro day, which um, at his size and weight gets him in the 83rd percentile for speed score. And, you know, maybe he's got some excuses for what held him back at Auburn. He had some injury issues as a sophomore with a thumb injury that made him miss some time. And, uh, you know, similar to our guy, Seth Williams, I think maybe Bo Nix held him back a little bit too. He's not the most accurate passer. 
And Anthony Schwartz, he still got that age 20 breakout and he still had a college dominator of 28.2%. So he barely misses the cutoffs that I'm looking for. So this is definitely somebody that I would think about in the third or fourth round of my, uh, my rookie draft. If he does get that third round draft capital. Okay. So keep an eye on Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn, according to Trey. Mitch, who's the guy you're looking at here? Well, I'm hoping that if somebody's picking before me, they're taking Schwartz with Seth Williams on the board because I think he's the better receiver in that offense. I was watching film on both of these guys, actually trying to watch the film on uh, Schwartz, and I kept seeing number 18 outball him. Like, just they were both on the field, and the better player, the better wide receiver, in my opinion, was uh, Seth Williams. I agree with you, Trey. I agree completely that there was some quarterback mishaps there because it really looked to me like Schwartz was wide open down the field and there were a lot of missed passes. And I couldn't really tell if it was him running a bad route or just uh, a bad throw there, but there was a lot of missed opportunities there. But I think both of these guys are very good. I just, I'll take the bigger guy, Seth Williams, 6'3", 212. Uh, he looks like he's going to translate to the NFL a little bit better than uh, than the fast guy. So, yeah, Mitch and I, I would I would prefer Seth Williams too. Uh, you know, all else equal, uh, I, I think what scares me about Seth Williams is based on putting these three mocks together. Is none of these three guys had him going in their top three rounds? So, but let's see Thursday. Yeah, well, well I get. Well, you know what? We'll find out Saturday maybe. <laughs> Friday or Saturdays. <laughs> That's right. That Friday is probably a better point, but he's a bigger guy, and I bet you he goes before some of these slotty guys. Yeah, we'll see. Speaking of a bigger guy, uh, one guy I just want to mention was Sage Surratt uh, out of Wake Forest. So DLF wide receiver 18 in the rookie rankings. And, you know, I chose Sage Surratt because I remember back in 2019, anytime I watched Wake Forest, his tape was pretty beastly there in the ACC. Because of that, I was excited to kind of dig in a bit more. And he just kind of looks like a JJ Ortega Whiteside starter pack, except like even slower. So his <laughs> his testing numbers were just pitiful, closing in on 4.7 on his 40. And as you dig into the tape again, once you know that, you kind of realize that he relied so much on his length and his size to win in college. And he's not just gonna he's just not gonna be able to win in the NFL. So he's got some length and he's got some size, but he doesn't have the speed to back it up and he doesn't have the separation ability to back it up. So I'm pointing uh, our listeners' attention to Sage Surratt here because I think he's a fade, you know, uh, uh, undrafted free agent and your rookie drafts at best. Okay, guys, uh, I think that is going to do it. That's going to close out our show. I really enjoyed this exercise. Uh, again, I think it's kind of it was kind of a, a fun and interesting way to prepare for the NFL draft, like aggregating these three mocks from um, NFL insiders. So uh, I hope y'all enjoyed it, and I hope our listeners got some mileage out of it. Big props to Trey there. Well done, Big man. Big props to Trey. Yeah, yeah. We got to figure out a way to uh, share this with the uh, listeners. So we'll figure out a way to post the um, the aggregate mock rankings on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Trey. Uh, put in a lot of work so that we could do this episode. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to episode five of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. We will see you next week when we finally get to talk about landing spots. Yes. Awesome. Let's go. Later on, guys. Later, y'all. See ya.